You are now listening to the Stovall Pentecostal Church audio podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Our message comes to us from our teaching and discipleship pastor, Pastor Jordan Wood. Have a listen. Amen. Isn't it good that we can trust in the sheltering God who sheltered all those biblical figures in times past? and was faithful through it all. Amen? Today we're reaching the halfway mark. At the end of today we'll be through five of our ten weeks in our ten-week summer series entitled Subject to Change. Throughout this series, we've been exploring how a number of biblical heroes of faith faced and dealt with change. Have you been enjoying the series so far? Amen? So far, we have gone through, let's see, Joseph. We've learned from Joseph that he was a man of unwavering vision, that he was a man of integrity. He's what we called a self-differentiated leader. He was able to separate himself from the chaos in order to impact it. When we're caught up, it's very difficult to bring about change, but when we distance ourselves from what's happening, even within our own selves, we can bring about change. We have a better chance at it anyway. We also next looked at Joseph's father, Jacob, and that everything was trying to define Jacob and tell him who he was. But instead, we learned that Jacob was defined by, number one, his encounter with God, number two, his struggle with God, and finally, at the end of his life, Jacob was defined by the blessing of God on his life. Next, we learn from Noah that Noah walked in close fellowship with God, that Noah was obedient to God's voice, that Noah was willing to change, and that he was in it for the long haul. And then last week, Pastor Jeff brought us David. We learned from David how David's life, if you remember, was shaped by prayer and in prayer. And as David's life was shaped by prayer, that produced in David trust. And that trust produced praise. Pastor Jeff said, you can pray your way right through to praise. Is that true for you this morning? Amen. This morning we continue with part five of our series, Subject to Change, with Moses. Moses. And the title of my message this morning is, Let It Go. Let It Go. Couldn't find a good title, so just tell your neighbor, let it go. You at home watching, tell someone on the couch with you. If you're in the kitchen or if you're in the basement, I don't know if you're watching this on the back deck, okay, with something nice and hot to drink. Tell someone, let it go. If there's no one with you, talk to your animals. Talk to your plants. I keep telling you, they'll grow better if you talk to them. Just tell them to let it go. Tell yourself. You know, David, we learned from David last week, he told himself, you know, soul, it's good to praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. We can do that too. So tell yourself, let it go. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, let it go. If you have, raise your hand. Yes, 
This is the most famous uh, recent verse. That's Elsa. Do you know who that is? Challoners, good to see you. You know, you know that's Elsa? That's right. Do you know how to sing it? Let it go? No? It's okay. We won't put you on the spot. Maybe you're from a previous generation, and uh, when you think of Moses, you may think of this guy. Charles and Heston. This powerful movie, The Ten Commandments. How many of you have seen The Ten Commandments? Yes, and he said, let my people go, right? He went to, to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And uh, when, when, when I grew up, I grew up uh, in the 80s and 90s, I, I had a little bit of a different association to those words, let my people go. And maybe you're familiar with this 90s show. Come on, man, don't give me that my dog is dead face. Come on, let's sing. Not sing. When Israel was in Egypt land. This is just retarded. Come on, man, let it go. You'll feel better. Let it go. Let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand. Let my people go. Uptown Montreal, born and raised. On the playground is where I spent most of my days. <laughs> Today I want to highlight a number of panels from the life of Moses in an effort to give us some tools that we can use to equip ourselves as we navigate this changing world. My hope today is that we could take a little bit of a journey and we could learn from Moses, from his example and how he faced and dealt with change so that we could be men and women who not only survive this time, but thrive during this time. And that when, it all, when it's all said and done, we can abide in a position of strength. That God would do a great work in this season in all of our lives. And that coming out of it, we would be transformed. We would be changed as a testimony to ourselves and to the world around us. That hope grows here. Point number one is Moses had a passion for the presence of God. You see that? Moses had a passion for his presence. I want to read to you 
uh, Numbers chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. It's comparing Moses to uh, the other uh, false leaders. It said this, but this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Amen. In her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Ruth Haley Barton wrote these words concerning Moses. She wrote, Moses' whole life can be viewed through the lens of his private encounters with God and how his soul was strengthened through those encounters. He did not seem to have any great strategies for leadership except to seek God in solitude and then carry out what God revealed to him there. For Moses, leadership was that simple. And this was a defining characteristic of Moses' life. Whenever he got into a situation, he would retreat to the presence of the Lord, he would get instruction, and then he would leave the presence of the Lord and he would go and do it. And it says, Moses did just as the Lord commanded him to do. Many years ago, Pastor David Yonji Cho, uh, a pastor in Seoul, South Korea, he was interviewed, and uh, his church was in the hundreds of thousands of people in, in, in South Korea. And they asked him for his strategy to grow one of the biggest churches in the world at the time. His answer was simple. And they're all, they're all at the edge of their seat, all of the people inquiring, you know, how did you make this happen? And he leans over, and they're all leaning forward, and he says, I pray and I obey. Simple as that. There's no seminar, no workshop, no seven-step strategy that you have to go and get certified for. It was, I pray and I obey. And that was also true for Moses. Barton goes on to write, Moses' encounters with God in solitude were clearly his lifeline. His only means of survival. When he got to the end of his life, he was described as the greatest prophet in Israel, whom the Lord knew face to face. He did not achieve his vision the way that he thought he was going to, but he knew God and God knew him, which is perhaps the greatest achievement of all. You see, Moses stands as the Colossus of the Old Testament. He is this towering figure. He is the Old Testament figure mentioned most to us in the New Testament. And it's not even close. Moses knew the presence of God in a way and to a degree that revivals, that rivals anyone in Scripture. Though he was just a man, he spoke with God face to face. Moses received and delivered the Ten Commandments written in stone by the very finger of God. And often we, when we think about Moses, when you think about Moses, when we think about Moses, we often think of the Ten Commandments, we think of the law, we think of the rigidity of just following a set book of rules. But this couldn't be further from who Moses was. Moses had a passion and a love for the presence of God that, that is second to none. 
It's often presented in contrast with one another, the law or the presence. Yet when we look at Moses, he loved and had a passion for the presence of God. When we take time to look a little bit closer at the life of Moses, we see that his passion for the presence of God was second to no one. He lived in the presence of God. He sought the presence of God. He interceded for the people in the presence of God. And for Moses, the presence of God was his top priority. For Moses, the presence of God was his prize. And i got to tell you, that convicts me. I don't know how you feel about it. But what is the priority of the presence of God in your life? When you face challenge or difficulty, or even when things are well, do you seek and take time to get into the Lord's presence? Just to thank Him for what He's doing, or to seek wisdom, to seek counsel from the presence of the Lord. The older I get, the more it's true for me. I don't know how it is for you. Because the longer we live and the longer we decide to follow Jesus, the more we realize that we really can't accomplish anything in and of our own power and our own strength. We need the presence of God to lead us, to guide us. If it's even just to settle us, it's worth it to get into His presence. I pray and I obey. Lord, let that be true of me. See, as a leader, Moses faced criticism. He faced complaints. He faced loneliness at times. He faced burnout. He's been through it all. And yet he saw miracles after miracles. And more than once, he found himself in a situation where he had absolutely no other choice but to utterly and completely rely on God to do the miraculous. What we learn from Moses is that in his life, every single twist and turn, it only served to propel him deeper into the presence of God. Lord, let that be true of us. Those of you watching online, let that be true of your life. That every twist and turn that this life brings, that it would only drive you further and deeper into the presence of God. Because that's where joy, that's where fulfillment, that's where peace, that's where strength, that's where direction, that's where guidance, that's where all of his life is portioned to you and to me. It's found in the presence of God. Point number two. We're going to move through quickly this message today. We'll be on our way. Someone say amen. For Moses, I think he understood that there was purpose in the process. Purpose in the process. Let's read Exodus chapter 2, 11 and 12 and verse 15. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down 
by a well. In this account, we get a glimpse of Moses as an immature young man who struggled greatly. You see, Moses was confused about his identity. He was consumed with anger. He was angry enough to kill. Excuse me, he, he was confused because he was a man who had no place because he had not yet found himself. So let's just take a little bit of a step back because that's kind of starting already as the story's going. But let's take uh, a little bit of a reminder of the story of Moses' birth. Moses was, of course, born a Hebrew. But because of uh, Pharaoh's order at the time, uh, all the babies were to be put to death. Can you imagine? So out of absolute desperation and yet turned out to be a miraculous plan, Moses' mother sent him into the Nile River in a basket. Only to be discovered by Pharaoh's daughter who rescued the boy and by providence, after he was nursed, Pharaoh's daughter ended up taking Moses into her own household and adopting him as her own. It's interesting that Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses, for she said, with arms raised, I lifted him out of the water. Little did she know that one day, this same boy would grow up to be the man who, with arms raised, would lead a nation of Israel to freedom from bondage in Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. The Exodus is the defining narrative of the Old Testament. It represents our salvation from sin. You see, Moses, he struggled with identity because he grew up in two worlds. He was born a Hebrew, living in the house of an Egyptian royalty at the time when the Hebrews were slaves to the Egyptian. And as a consequence, Moses neither fit in with his Hebrew kinfolk nor did he quite fit in with his Egyptian adoptive family. But in this particular passage, we see that Moses took matters into his own hands. In his own strength, he allowed the turmoil of confusion, the anger that swirled within him to strike down the Egyptian. He was infuriated here by the injustice he observed. And because he had a privileged position, Perhaps he said to himself, it's my responsibility. Clearly, he was functioning from a place of guilt and misplaced responsibility. The other thing we note here is that he did feel responsible. Clearly, Moses was gifted as a leader. But his struggle with identity and his unrefined character kept him from his calling. And now he had blood on his hands. So what does he do? He says to himself, what I have done has been discovered. But it's not just the act of what Moses did that was discovered. It was the idea that the truth about who he was, the anger and the turmoil and the confusion that was within him spilled over. And this is now what was exposed. And that is also another reason why he ran. Not only because he was afraid and fearful of Pharaoh, he fled because the anger in his heart that was hidden was now out in the open. 
he could no longer manage it. He could no longer use a coping mechanism to deal with it. This outburst was now the motivation that Moses needed to go to a place of solitude. Has that ever happened to you? Not these details in particular, but have you ever had a moment where part of your unrefined character showed its ugly head? And when you reflected on it, you said, you know what? I've been ignoring this too long. I need God to deal with it. I need to go to a place of solitude. I need to get away from my current environment. I need to detach myself from my current surroundings. If I'm ever going to reflect on what's going on on the inside of me, if I'm ever going to deal with it, if I'm ever going to get God to uh, work on this area of my life, then I've got to submit myself to him. I've got to get into the presence of God. I've got to get out of this current situation so that God has the opportunity to work on me. This season is such an opportunity. Let's not miss the moment. Let's not miss the moment. Point number three. Moses was confined for a call. He was confined for a call. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 22, it says this. Zipporah, Moses' wife, gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom. Anybody need a baby name? No? Okay. I got a few suggestions. Um, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Isn't this awesome? This is, sometimes we read this and we're like, okay, what's the point of this statement? It's because Moses came to himself. In the preceding text, we we read that Moses sat down by a well. Now, let me ask you a question. When you look down a well, what do you see? Just say it. A reflection, right? Unless it's dark or it's too deep, you can't see anything. But in sometimes you can look down and you see the water there. What do you see? You see yourself. And many times in Scripture, the idea of a well is equated with uh, our soul. And so, perhaps the scripture is telling us that Moses sat by himself and reflected on his own life. He took a deep look at himself. He reflected and thought about himself. He came to himself, and when his wife gives birth to a son, Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. In other words, he realized who he was. He came to his identity, finally, that he accepted this idea that he was a foreigner in a foreign land. He came to a place of solitude where he had no choice but to face himself. And through that opportunity he had to reflect, he came to himself. He, as soon afterward, he did have a, a chance to stop another injustice, and this time it didn't have the same result as the time before. It had a different result. I love what Barton goes on to say about this season in Moses' life. She wrote, The first leg of Moses' journey as a leader then was not to lead anyone anywhere. It was to allow himself to be led into freedom from his own bondage. 
Before he could lead others into freedom, he needed to experience freedom himself. In solitude, he was able to let go of the coping mechanisms that had served him well in the past, but were completely inappropriate for the leader that he was becoming. You see, anger and hatred could have no more place. It was no longer acceptable as a mode of operation in his life. And here he had the opportunity to deal with it. And as soon as he gets this opportunity to deal with who he is, as soon as he comes to this realization of his true identity, this is what happens in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 to 4. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. See, if God is going to call you, you first need to know who you are in him. As soon as Moses gets a handle on who he is, God is calling to him. But we, like Moses, need to pay attention to when God is calling. Let us not miss the moment. You see, I, I, I say this a number of times. Uh, in my own journey, this has been true. I don't know if it's been true for you. But every time that I've prayed, and I've sincerely come before God in prayer, and I, I ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Can I get a witness? Anybody ask God, what do you want me to do? Because I'm a doer. Some people are doers. They understand it completely. They're like, amen, amen. God has always reminded me who I am. Every time I've asked God, what do you want me to do? He's always reminded me who I am. Because out of who we are, we do not the other way around. So let's not miss the, miss the moment as Moses took advantage of it. Let us do the same. Moses allowed this moment of sheltering in his life to reflect upon who he was. Not long after, he came to himself and understood that he was a foreigner in a foreign land. God speaks to him from the burning bush and calls him to the task for which he was made. Moses heard God because he took the time to stop and reflect. He heard God because when he saw the flames and turned aside and paid attention, that's when God speaks. You see, God will speak when we demonstrate our willingness to pay attention. Have you ever heard someone say that they can't hear God? Has that ever been true? You say, you know what, uh, Pastor, I pray, I can't hear God. I try, I sit down, I can't hear God. You know, I, I use this illustration of a clock at midnight. Do people still have clocks? Is that still a thing? Well, the clock is that funny thing that during the day you never notice it, right? You never hear the ticking of the clock during the day because there's all kinds of ambient sound going on at the same time, 
right? Because it's loud enough, you don't hear it. But in the middle of the night, when everything is still, when everything is quiet, it becomes the loudest thing in the entire home. Click, click, tick, talk, tick, talk, right? And it's so loud, it keeps you up. Why is that? Because we have quieted ourselves. Our environment has been so silence is, is, is there that now the only thing that resonates is the sound of the second hand ticking. And I often say this is a lot like our relationship with God. We can't hear him because we're so busy running. We're so busy doing. We have all kinds of ambient noise happening in our life. But if we will find a place of solitude, if we'll find that place of silence, if we'll commit to being set apart for a season and quiet our hearts and demonstrate before God our willingness to pay attention, God will speak. And God's voice will become the voice louder than any other voice in our lives. Because it will grow and grow and grow until we can hear Him clearly in whatever situation we find ourselves Amen? Has that been true for you? Blaise Pascal said this, all of humanity's problems, he's a French dude from a long time ago. Uh, he was a mathematician, but he was also a theologian, so he's pretty cool. Uh, Blaise Pascal said this, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to, switch, to sit quietly in a room alone. I don't know how many hundreds of years ago he wrote that. All of man's problems are the result of their inability just to sit quietly in a room by themselves. I find that really interesting. Do you know that there was a study in 2014, a number of years ago, and I believe it was in Virginia at this university, and uh, you can look up this study online, and they decided to see how well people do just sitting in a room. So they got hundreds of participants. They, uh, they, they, they took away their cell phones. They took away everything, no pens, nothing. And you were just to sit in this room with your thoughts. Okay? And afterwards, the study, they took a survey of the people and say, how, did you like it? Right? <laughs> did you enjoy it? And all of them hated it pretty much. They just didn't like it, right? So the researchers decided to take it a step further, and they provided everyone with a shock button, okay? Where they could push a button, and they could receive a shock, okay? And you're saying, well, how long did they have to stay in the room? It was between five minutes and 15 minutes. It wasn't a long time. Do you know what they found after they gave them this shock button? They found that people would rather shock themselves than to sit quietly in a room with their own thoughts. This is a discipline that, that we need to get good at. I know, I, you know, I don't want to waste a moment pulling out our phones. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Anybody else convicted? Anybody else addicted to their devices? Anybody else just need a phone break or a device break? What would happen if we, say it with me, let it go? But we prefer the shock. 
My concluding point is this, and I'd invite the worship team to come back. Moses learned to let it go. Moses learned to let it go. You see, Moses had a passion for the presence of God. Even in his intercession, his prayers were centered on the presence of God going with him. You remember where it came to a place where Israel was disobedient and God said, I'm no longer going to go with you, but I'm going to send an angel ahead of you. And Moses stopped and interceded and said, you know what, that won't do. We can't just have an angel. We need you, Lord. Is that true for your life? Are you saying, God, I can't live this life on my own. I can't live without your presence. And I don't even want an angel, Lord. I want you. I want you, Lord. I want your presence to go before me, to be with me, wherever I go, to lead me, to guide me. Moses was attentive to the presence of God. Twice he went into God's presence for 40 days. Many times he was in the tent of meeting with God. When we think of Moses, we just see him there in the tent with the presence of God all around him. It is said that he spoke with God face to face. We also know this other account of Moses that he asked God for one thing, that he would see his face. God said he made a way for him to be hidden in the, the cleft of the rock. That his goodness and his kindness and his love, all of God's attributes, his very glory would pass before Moses. And of course, the account of the burning bush. You see, Moses made the presence of God a priority. Let that be true for us today. When the Lord called Moses, he was reluctant. Moses asked the Lord, how will they know that you have sent me? How will they know that I have met with the one true God? How will Pharaoh know? How will your people know? Do you know what the response was? The Lord gave him a staff and said, Throw it down. It's going to be changed. It's going to be transformed. Let me tell you, church, and everyone watching online, that the greatest evidence for the presence of God in your life is transformation. The greatest proof that which validates like nothing else, the presence of God in your life is a changed heart. Nothing better proves that God is at work in you than the reality of transformation, than the reality of a change in your heart. Finally, for Moses, the presence of God was enough. It was enough. Moses never made it to the promised land. Imagine spending your life for a sole mission that didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen. But what's interesting is what's not said in the text. 
You see, Moses, on a number of occasions previous to this, would argue with God about a number of things. He would intercede for the people. If he didn't like something, he would try to be reluctant, try to make a deal, try to go back and forth a little bit. There was a little bit of an exchange. But at the end of his life, when God comes to him and says, by the way, the promised land is not happening for you. Nowhere in Scripture do we hear that Moses resisted it. Nowhere in Scripture do we hear that he argued. But he was resigned to it. Why? Why? Because for Moses, the presence of God was the promised land. Moses was able to let it go because he was holding on to something greater. The presence of God was his passion, it was his priority, and in the end, it was his promise. And Moses' graduation was ultimately attended by an audience of one. What about you today? Do you, like Moses, have a passion for the presence of God? Do you, like Moses, turn aside to hear from the Lord when you face weakness, inadequacy, when you mess up, when you fall? Moses teaches us that the only achievement that really matters is to know God and to be known by God. Maybe you had plans for this season in your life. Maybe you're supposed to be in another country somewhere. Maybe you're supposed to be in another job or another situation. Or you had different plans that haven't materialized the way you thought it was going to happen. Let it go. Because God wants you not to miss the moment of what He's doing through this season. There's a song I've been listening to the last couple of weeks. It's by the afters. It's called Lift Me Up. And I just want to read to you the lyrics and then we'll sing together just for a moment and then we'll close in prayer. It says this. Waiting for the sunrise, waiting for the day, waiting for a sign that I'm where you want me to be. You know my heart is heavy and the hurt is deep. But when I feel like giving up, you're reminding me that we all fall down sometimes. And when I hit the ground, you lift me up. You lift me up. I know I'm not perfect. I know I make mistakes. I know that I've let you down, but you love me the same. And when I'm surrounded or when I lose my way, when I'm crying out and falling down, you are here to lift me up again. You lift me up when I'm weak. Your arms wrap around me. Your love catches me so I'm letting go. You lift me up when I can't see. Your heart is all that I need. Your love carries me. So I have decided to let go. Your 
you if you're comfortable just to raise your hands to receive from the Lord. If you're watching this morning, you can stretch a hand towards your screen. Lord, we have that image of a young child who in their weakness cries out to you that you would rescue us again. That you would redeem us, Lord, even from ourselves. Lord, as a young child even looks up to their parent and with arms raised expects their parent to lift them up, so we look to you today to lift us up. Lord, thank you for the life of Moses. Thank you, Lord, that he demonstrates to us a passion and a priority of your presence. Help it to be, help it to be true of us as well, that we would love your presence, God that we would seek your presence, that we would look to you for all the wisdom we need, all the guidance we need, but also to come with hearts full of gratitude for all you've done and all you're going to do. Lord, for those heavy hearts here today and those watching over the interwebs, we pray, Lord, a blessing of your peace and your presence that you would propel us into a greater, greater place of our relationship with you we pray that we would know you face to face in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. You have been listening to the Stovall Pentecostal Church audio podcast. For more information about Stovall Pentecostal Church, including events, ministries, and service time, please visit our website at www.spcfamily.ca. You can subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast store, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.